Motor Podcast and a superb show coming today. Dan Walken back on the show. Great to have him back. Also Mitch Light back on the show and great to have him back. Long time at Athlon, now over at The Athletic in Nashville. And this episode of the High Motor Podcast is presented by Podcorn. We just started using Podcorn last week. And if you have a podcast, your company has a podcast, you know somebody with a podcast, Highly recommend checking it out. I mean, basically, it eliminates that middleman with a marketplace that directly connects the podcasters to those sponsorship opportunities. It doesn't matter your podcast size, any size, any genre, any time of the week, any number of episodes per week. You just sign up, check out the recommended sponsorship fits. It makes those recommendations for you so you don't have to go out and find them yourself. You make the proposal and boom, more revenue for your podcast without giving up any rights, without giving up any control, still 100% your podcast, but with that easy, steady revenue stream because making money is a lot better than not making money. Click that link. I'm going to put it in the show notes to sign up at Podcorn. Start browsing those sponsorship opportunities. Okay, let's jump in with Dan Wolken, USA Today, back on the High Motor Podcast this week. And Dan, I want to start with something that you reacted to on Saturday. That recommendation by the, or excuse me, to the NCA by the National College Players Association to explore having the NCA tournament without fans. And going back, the only recent thing that I can think of that that even relates to this is that 2008 SEC tournament after the, the tornado. Maybe you have a better comparison there. And in reacting to this, you tweeted that this idea of having tournament games without fans seems premature. We're two or three weeks out still. How do you see this playing out? Any idea of what it would take to actually get that far and how that would uh, impact different things from results to TV ratings, uh, travel, all that stuff? Well, this is something that that clearly goes beyond sports. Uh, This is a health issue that is international in nature and certainly in the United States. uh, We're all grappling with the scope of it and, and what it means, but you know, I think when you get to the point of, all right, we're going to start, you know, not having the NCAA tournament or, or basically crowds of large, you know, gatherings of large crowds are a, a public health uh, danger. Well, that's this whole conversation about the coronavirus to a to a whole different level. I, I have not yet seen uh, any indication that 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 is where we are in the United States, that that's what we need to start doing is canceling, um, sporting events, you, you know, that, and, and whenever you take a drastic step like that, I mean, there's a lot of constituencies and factors that are involved from, from TV and sponsorship and ticket sales and what's happening in, uh, host cities. And so all, all these things have to be taken into account. And obviously the first priority in any big event is to keep people safe. But um, I, I just don't think we are yet to the point where coronavirus um, is such a, a uh, is such a health um, emergency 
that we need to start shutting down the NCAA tournament. That that seems way, way premature to me. And we're talking here exactly two weeks before Selection Sunday, and barring an, an American tournament run by Memphis, which, I mean, is highly possible there without the elite team in the conference this year, but barring that run, Memphis has a good chance of whiffing on the tourney, even with all the injuries. I know that you've talked about, you've written about it, James Weissman's departure. I mean, this seems like a fairly big deal for Penny Hardaway to be hovering at 500 in a very mediocre American headed for the NIT. How big of a whiff would this be for Penny in Memphis? Well, I think in the context of this season, they've they've had some bad breaks, clearly. Um, not just with the Weissman situation, but there's been other injuries and that that's part of the unfortunate side of college basketball, which is it's a short season. You don't get a ton of time to recover if you if you have a big injury or, or something like that. And uh, clearly, the chips have not fallen Memphis's way this year. Um, I mean, we can argue about whether they should be in the tournament or not. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that you know with the team that they have that uh, they should necessarily be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, I, I think the product that they've put on the floor has, has been pretty bad uh, for the most part. I, I just think with Penny Hardaway, the issue uh, and the question is, is more of a you know forward-facing question, which is, is he going to be able to put a product on the floor, uh, a team on the floor that can sustain success and isn't reliant on, you know, a, a guy like James Wiseman, uh, having a, a full season. I mean, yeah, it stinks for them that James Wiseman didn't play and they were counting on him to play. But you also know that, that when you put that kind of team together, the margin for error is really small. And um, I think, uh, you know, looking forward, he's going to have to to develop and recruit and retain. And, and that's the name of the game, not just um, getting these high profile recruiting classes on campus and, and thinking your work is done because in college basketball, it is, it is absolutely not. It, and I think you see with a lot of the teams that are among the better teams in the country, they're, they're all older, they're more mature. They've got multi-year guys. Uh, you want to have a lot of talent, but uh, the hype over recruiting classes uh, is not enough to, to win at the biggest level. And shifting to, to another coach that's done well recruiting, the results haven't been there. Shaka Smart in Texas, we're seeing, uh, Shaka and Texas make a little bit of run here, four in a row, winning in Lubbock on Saturday. Uh, you know, maybe he might have, maybe he still is on the hot seat. Um, any read on that job security for him? Any read on other potential openings? I mean, looking at maybe like a Minnesota, a Wake Forest, USC's. What's your What's your read on some of these jobs that could be opening up here? Well, certainly, you know, with Texas, they looked absolutely dead in the water a few weeks ago. They've they've gotten themselves together a little bit, and, and they're playing better. If they can find a way to sneak into the tournament somehow, you know, maybe that uh, gives Texas some, some pause, but I also think, you know, the writing may be on the wall a little bit and, and, and Shaka, you know, could have some opportunities elsewhere, whether it's at Wake Forest or, or Clemson, perhaps, um, you know, places like that. Uh, does he, you know, regardless of getting fired, does he just go take one of those? That That's certainly something you'd have to think about as well. But, um, you know, yeah, I still, think the body of work for him at Texas is, is not good. And, and I, I'm not sure he's, he's really been the right fit there. Uh, but, you know, if they get to the tournament and, and he gets retained another year, uh, I, I think that's a defensible decision uh, right now. But, you know, the other jobs, um, certainly you're, you're at that time of year where 
uh, athletic director is going to have decisions to make. And, and it's not only just about sort of the direction of the program or, or what you think of, of the coach, but also the money. I mean, you, you know, college basketball for a lot of these schools, uh, they want to be good. They, they want to compete, but at the same time, you know, coach on a massive contract is maybe got a little bit more job security than the general public thinks. So uh, that's a part of it as well. Um, you know, I, certainly uh, there's conversation around Wake Forest. There's conversation around Clemson, Boston College, you know, some of these ACC jobs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens at Miami. They've really taken a, a big step back. So uh, there, there could be some attractive jobs out there um, this offseason, and, and we'll just kind of see how the carousel falls. And it looked like, you know, Texas was for so many, you know, weeks and months even, it looked like Texas was going to be clearly that, that best job that was available. Uh, and with all due respect to, you know, Boston College and Clemson, those aren't anywhere near the top tier of jobs. Do you see anything opening this year that is that is better than kind of that mediocre job? Is there is there going to be the job in college basketball that everybody's looking at this this coaching carousel? Uh, Texas, if it comes open, is is a top level job, and I think a lot of people would look at it that way as well. You know, but I also think uh, the the bigger question is going to revolve around um, what happens at, at some of these schools where there's been NCAA cases. Uh, Kansas, you know, that even though it looks like Kansas at this point is prepared to to defend Bill Self all the way to the end. There's some interesting scenarios there potentially, um, and and it's going to play out over the off season and probably be several more months before they know their fate with the NCAA. Arizona is kind of in that same boat. LSU and Auburn and uh, some of those schools that that we think are getting uh, notice of allegations from the NCAA and could could that whatever fallout happens from that force those schools to. Uh, to change coaches. So I think that's kind of the X factor in all this. Do you see any, I don't know, precedence or right word or whatever, kind of what happened with LSU and Will Wade last year, where, where they basically said, you know, he's going to coach. Will Wade said, I'm going to coach and doesn't matter what, you know, these allegations are and everything. Is there any sort of weight or precedent that we should be putting in that um, where other schools, you know, might do the same? And I know that every case is completely different, but because of what Will Wade and LSU did last year, basically saying, we just don't care right now. Could you see any other schools doing that, or, or do you think that pressure will just get to a point um, if there is overwhelming evidence against a coach? Look, part of this stems from the system the NCAA has created, which is is very slow moving, and that's just part of the whole enforcement process. And uh, a lot of these cases just take years to uh, unwind. And so, in the interim, you know, there there was certainly has been in the past a um, an attitude by some schools where they feel like if they sacrifice the coach that it will uh, save them from longer term penalties. And so they just cut ties and start over and, and hope for some mercy. That doesn't seem to be the attitude right now. We'll see if that works out. Um, but at some point, you know, Bill Self's been charged with three level one violations. Uh, if the NCAA committee on infractions agrees with those charges and they give Bill Self a, a big suspension, like a multi-year suspension where he can't do anything affiliated with the program. Well, I mean, that, that's potentially a pretty big issue for Kansas and they'd have to decide what to do. So uh, at some point, you know, when there is a decision made, uh, the cost benefit analysis will have to take place on, on those coaches. But 
without the concrete evidence of, of big penalties coming, the schools are just rolling the dice. So that seems to be the way people are looking at it right now. Last time you were on the show, I think it was like one or two days after Duke's loss to, to Michigan State in the Elite Eight last year. And and you kind of questioned Coach K's roster management lately, especially last year building around Zion. Now a year later, we're, we're talking almost exactly a year later, they've lost three or four with that ugly Virginia loss on Saturday night. Poor offensive performance, even it is against Virginia. But I mean, while we're looking at it, it's very possible that Duke could slip to a 4C for just a second time in the last 14, 15 years. Uh, I mean, do you have concerns, similar concerns about Duke this year? Well, it's a totally different team that's built differently, and and I, I don't think they're nearly as talented this year as, as they were last year. Uh, you know, there's no Zion Williamson and on, on this particular team, and you know, I don't even think there's an R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish. Like, the, those guys are just better prospects and better players than the guys that, that Duke has now. And, and look, uh, Coach K, you know, decided to get in this one-and-done game and go all in on it, and I think that's a defensible decision in a lot of ways. But there are just going to be some years where that does not work out. Look, Duke could have won a national championship last year. They were good enough uh, to do it. I, I saw them, you know, beat great teams all year long uh, last year and, you know, had, had things fallen differently uh, maybe they could have been there in the end and, and beaten Virginia, but uh, it didn't. It didn't go that way. It's a one and done tournament, and, and they didn't play great when they needed to, and uh, they got beat. And it's just kind of the way it goes. But um, I, I think this year, you know, they're just not as talented overall. They're better. You know, they're they're okay defensively. I, I think it, it's it's a labor for them to score, uh, and so whenever you're that kind of team where it's it's hard to get good shots and hard to get buckets that just puts a ceiling on on your potential because it's in the tournament take that difficulty and magnify it when teams are playing their best um so defense wins championships is the cliche but you also have to have an elite offense and i'm not sure duke does that's dan walken usa today hey dan thanks for uh chatting again take care and have a good week okay thank you Mitch Light, back on the High Motor Podcast. First time as a representative of the Athletic, though, after, what did you say, 18, 20 years at Athlon? Yeah, I think I kept saying 18 years, uh, but it was more closing on 19. It w- had I not left, it would have been 19 in March because I remember starting during the SEC tournament, basketball tournament. So that's almost 19 years. And, you know, one of the reasons I was would have been hesitant about, not, about leaving Athlon is I thought it might have ended my glorious run on your podcast but i'm glad we can still get together so uh, i actually have no regrets now that, that this is happening has the personal hygiene taken a hit with the work from home job now I, when i started working from home maybe six or seven years ago i stopped shaving every day i didn't you know have to do dry cleaning i stopped showering every day at 7 a.m what is your personal hygiene look like right now that, that's a good question and um i have made it a point to get dressed every day yeah it's sunday morning like right now i'm wearing like running shorts and a t-shirt like on the weekends like i you know you go to like you know i'm 48 years old i have two kids you go to like the mall or you go to target and there's most people my age are like dressed in jeans or khakis and like normal but like on the weekends i don't even pretend to try and get dressed unless i'm going somewhere nice i just want to be you know comfortable and um so i thought so the, my point being, I want to at least put jeans or comfortable khakis on when I work and go up to the home office up in the bonus room or sometimes I go to a coffee shop. But one thing 
I, I not to go into the weeds about my, my job too much. I'm kind of busy sometimes first thing in the morning, like if there's some stuff that's coming overnight and I need to get edited and posted. So I might get to my computer like at 645 without having showered or brushed my teeth and like work for like an hour. And then then I'll regroup. I'll have some breakfast. I'll take a shower. One good thing, too, is my son, who's 15, um, his high school is like 15, 20 minutes away. And I don't have to drive him to school anymore because our neighbor just turned 16 and they go to the same school. So that, you know, that that has helped me. Uh, you know, I don't need to, to, to shower as quickly anymore as I used to. So like you said, you are a, a frequent guest of the High Motor Podcast. And one thing that, that we've never, I don't think we've talked about on the show or when I've come down to Nashville or casually over the years, I mean, now going back to the Athlon Magazine, I mean, you've had tons and tons of quotes from coaches, current coaches, former coaches, and now in, in your few months here with The Athletic. I'm always curious, guys that have been in the industry a lot longer than I have, who have been the most enjoyable, the most friendly coaches, players, whoever to work with over those last 18, 20 years? That's a good question, Andrew. It's one I, I, I'm not sure I can answer that great because in my job as the managing editor and editor before that, a lot of my work is done dealing with writers who deal with coaches. So all those anonymous quotes and stuff, most of them I have not gotten it's been like i reach out to the writers some national some local uh that have those relationships so um i trust the guys i've reached out to you would recognize the names but that they have those relationships um to you know go out and get those anonymous quotes i can't you know i've gotten to know a lot of the coaches that have come through nashville through vanderbilt basketball and football just because i work on the vanderbilt radio network and i just know a lot of the coaches there that have gone on to other things I mean, speaking of that, I want to talk about your, your alma mater here in a little bit, Vanderbilt, but, you know, talking about the coaches that have come through there and Kevin Stallings now, what are we, three, four years um, out from when he actually left Nashville. What's the feeling now that Kevin Stallings flopped at Pittsburgh, um, the NCAA violations, things coming down, but honestly, since he left, Vanderbilt basketball has imploded and we'll, we'll kind of get into that more in a second here. But now that Stallings is gone and Vanderbilt basketball has been so bad, what is the feeling of Kevin Stallings in Nashville? Well, that, that that's come up a lot recently um, because he was in the news, you know, unfortunately for Kevin um, and some of his staff members for what, you know, the, the show cause at Pittsburgh um, for, for some of the stuff they did there. Um, it's kind of got people. And, and I think I think I can speak for a lot of the, 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 the fans and alumni that I know that that Kevin Stallings had a great run at Vanderbilt. I think his lack of success in the NCAA tournament has kind of clouded that. But if you look at his, go to his Wikipedia page, there was a run of seven NCAA tournaments in 11 years. And one of the years was uh, when they were all freshmen and you kind of knew that they were going to be good in a few years. One, And then some of the other years, they just missed the tournament. So he had a really good run. But maybe maybe this is the way some people feel about my tenure at Athlon. 18 years is a long time, and sometimes it's just ready to move on. And, and I, I think, you know, he wasn't I, – I always got along with him. I think he's a very, very good offensive coach um, that I think if he was in a situation, if, you know, there was rumors that he was going to leave for Kansas after his first year at Vanderbilt before they hired, you know, uh, before after Roy Williams left, I think he could have won at a high level at a big-time school. Um, now there's certain things that he would have had to change about his temperament. He's very high, strong, didn't deal with criticism very well. All those things, you know, you've got to deal with at a much greater level at a school like Kansas or North Carolina. Um, 
But, you know, you, again, you look at his record, high success in the SEC. It's, and during some years, when the SEC was really good. Uh, you know, later in his tenure, the SEC wasn't as good and he wasn't able to take advantage of that. So I guess my long winded answer is saying it, it was it was time to move on and know whether or not the program took off in a positive direction or struggled since as it has. I think it's just revisionist history to go back and say, oh, they, you know, Kevin Stallings shouldn't have left or they shouldn't have gotten rid of Kevin Stallings. Again, it, it was time. And looking back, just one SEC win for Vandy basketball in the last really 24 months, going back to that win over Georgia, March 3rd, 2018, just one win since then. What is, I mean, is this a Jerry Stackhouse problem? You know, what, how much damage did, did Bryce Drew actually do? Is this just a program and institution problem? Um, you know, bluntly, why why have they just sucked so much lately? It's, um, and I, I hope this doesn't come off as, as excuses since it is my alma mater. It is a a combination of a lot of things, some horrendous luck. Um, you know, Darius Garland was the biggest recruit in school history at Vanderbilt for Bryce Drew. Uh, you know, so so Kevin Stallings, they went to the NCAA tournament in Kevin Stallings last year, went to the NCAA tournament as an eight seed in Bryce Drew's first year, then predictably struggled the next year, uh, went like five and 11 in the SEC or something, or more than five and 13 or whatever, it's 18 games, so uh, six and 12. But then Bryce Drew signed two top 10, top 15 recruits in, in Darius Garland and Simi Chitou. Well, Bryce Gar- uh, Darius Garland goes down with an injury five games into his uh, venerable career and, you know, just hurt his knee and just horrendous luck there. And then Chitou was not nearly as good as his recruiting rankings and was the type, I don't know if you saw Vanderbilt play at all last year, is the type of player that would have thrived possibly with Garland on the floor, but was not a guy that, you know, could, could, you know, could not create his own shot, but he just needed to compliment another good player. Well, you know, and the team just, like you said, imploded a, a good way to, good word to use. The chemistry was not very good. Bryce Drew and his staff did not do a very, very good job of keeping that locker room together. You talk to people, there was favoritism, you know, uh, Chatu kept playing, even though he would take horrendous shots, turning the ball over. I think other players resented that. So they made the decision to make a move. So you lose, uh, you bring in a new coach, you lose Garland, you lose Chatu, you lose one senior, and then two other starters transfer, grad transferred out. Uh, one of them is uh, Yanni Wetzel, who's now a key player at San Diego State, who's undefeated. And another is Matt Ryan, who's the leading scorer at, at Chattanooga. And then so you're going into this year. A young team, a lot of freshmen. Aaron Neesmith blossoms into one of the better players in the country. He's leading the SEC in scoring 25 points a game, shooting over 50% from three. Team's getting better, showing signs of kind of turning the corner. First SEC game against Auburn in which he scores like 20-something points. They they lose by three at Auburn. He suffers a stress fracture in his foot. So he's out for the year. Cleavon Brown, the best big man, the only senior on the team, hurt his knee, is out for the year. So the first, the best player and the third best player are hurt this year, and they literally play four walk-ons in games. So, you know, again, it sounds like excuses, take it for what it is. I'm just saying that that's the hand that Jerry Stackhouse was dealt. So um, those in Nashville and close to the program, and you watch this team, they're a very well-coached team. They play hard. Um, they've been competitive in a lot of games, had some really difficult losses. Then there's some games like yesterday at Ole Miss. I didn't see the game. I was at my son's baseball game where, you know, they just got blown out. That just happens. There's just a huge lack of talent on the team right now. And you can, you can play hard. You can be well coached. 
But it's you know how it is. If you don't have the players, you're not going to win games, and that's that's where the program is right now. Similar question to to the feeling around Kevin Stallings. Um, you know, I could have led that last question kind of in a different way when I if I lump you know Vandy football into the same question. Um, and I'll get this right after you embarrass me in front of my Twitter friends last night. You combined both of those. Yeah, I did just pointed out you know just pointed out the the, the facts. And then it seemed like you were a little salty at me because you didn't even reply to my second reply. So I thought maybe you were actually upset at me. Anyways, if you combine both of those programs, and, and they have only, what, five uh, combined SEC wins over that time, and I feel like, at least on my end, I'm not in, you know, I'm around Vanderbilt football, around Vanderbilt basketball, but the casual conversations I have with people, it's always kind of like a, well, you know, it's Vandy, kind of like the, this dismissive talk of how about Vanderbilt is a unique institution, kind of like the Stanford and all that. You know, so what's the deal with Derek Mason? Um, you know, how much pressure do you think is on him in 2020? And then just the general dismissive talk. Do people do people care the the difference, um, the uniqueness, I guess, of Vandy with the academic restrictions and all that? How much do people care about that around the programs and are willing to say, well, I mean, should we really be that good with how many restrictions we have? That's a very complex and complicated question, especially with what's going on now with uh, athletic director change and facilities like one day or they're ready to commit $9 million billion in the next minute you hear, oh, they're not doing anything. I mean, literally, it's like it's 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 every day seems like there's new, new you know, rumors and talk and all that stuff. I'll say, and this is just my opinion as a Vanderbilt graduate and the way I look at the programs. Football's very, 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 very difficult to sustain success. It just is. And, and um, it just the, the nature of the beast, how many players you need, the instant, the, the, the lack of tradition, the, the, the teams you're going up against with, you know, almost everyone else in the, in the league with the, you know, the 70 to 100,000 seat stadiums and just the generational uh, success. Basketball, there's no excuse. And that's why Vanderbilt has been good. I mean, it's like I said before, before this last two years, seven NCAA tournaments in 11 years when I was in college, you know, that's kind of, you know, wherever, if you grew up with something, that's kind of your baseline. When I was at Vanderbilt, the team was very good, won the SEC championship uh, when I was a senior and has had success. Now, does it's not Kentucky, of course. It's not um, programs like that, but you don't need as many uh, people to be good, as many players to be good in, in basketball. So I, I hopefully this is just a blip of really bad basketball at Vanderbilt. I think that program can still be successful. Other programs are, you know, baseball, obviously won the national championship last year. Uh, so football, I just think it's a really, really tough job. And uh, Derek Mason has had some success, you know, one been to two bowl games. You know, Derek Mason's biggest problem was taking over for James Franklin. Right? You, you know, you could look at it as that's an advantage for taking over because the program was in was in, in as good of a shape as it's been from a talent standpoint. Um, but got off to a rough first few years and then kind of wasn't able to capitalize off that, but has gone to two bowl games, um, one, you know, three SEC games. Uh, in 2018 and 2016, which, you know, back in my day when I was in college, that would have been considered a big success there. So um, I, I think, you know, I'm sure other people have different opinions, think the program can win at a higher level or, or shouldn't we even come close to winning at all. I think kind of going to bowl games two out of every four years, six wins here, six wins there, maybe breaking through like James Franklin did for an eight or nine win season every 10 years, you know, but I, I just think it's it, it's a very difficult job especially with the stadium the way it is now and all that stuff now if they invest millions and millions of dollars and redo the stadium sure but you know you you can maybe change your expectations but the way things are now at, at Vanderbilt I think there's no excuse for almost all the programs to be successful except for football
So it seems like you don't you don't really even think that Derek Mason is actually or should even be on the hot seat, you know, coming into the season. Barring, uh, I mean, we can always have like a, a one in eleven conversation, but it seems like you think his job is still pretty secure. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Like I was surprised, and this is I was surprised that he came back this year. Honestly, that's not like what I thought should have happened. Just what I was hearing, new athletic director who had kind of fired Bryce Drew. And the problem was this year's team with the lack of competitiveness was alarming. You know, I'm a, you know, we've talked college football before and, you know, the way I judge team in Athlon, uh, when I was in Athlon, you can be, you can be one in seven in, in your conference and lose five games by seven points or fewer and say, okay, that team's competitive, few bad breaks, um, you know, they, they're young, whatever. This team was alarmingly uncompetitive. They won the, uh, Missouri game at home. But other than that, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't think any other game was in single digits. The offense was atrocious. Um, so that's why I thought he might not be back. Well, he's back. He made some difficult decisions to fire two friends as coordinators. Um, so I think there's pressure this year. There's an interim athletic director right now who has a decent chance of getting the job. Um, my, my feeling is not really just Vanderbilt. It's on any school, even if it's a tough job, this will be year seven. If you don't win in that long, I think there's nothing wrong with making a change. Like, it's not like, oh, it's not fair. It's just sort of, you know, it's just like, let's give someone else an opportunity. So, you know, I hope Derek Mason has success this year. I hope he's back next year. But I don't, if Vanderbilt goes three and eight and they make a change, you know, that's a long time to, to, to be at a, a school, especially in today's landscape of college athletics. After seeing, you know, college football, college, college hoops through through a different national prism like you said when you're at Athlon and comparing teams and looking across the national picture of it I mean now that you're focusing kind of exclusively on the Nashville and Memphis markets do you see college football and college hoops differently now I know it's a really small sample size you haven't even been through a full football season I don't think do you see those two sports differently now that you're more focused in a local market after 18 19 years of looking at national coverage not really you know I still like I still love college football I still look at the sport you know I started my job literally six weeks ago so other than the national championship game I have not in that might have been, been before I started I have not gone through a football season so I will be more focused on following the Titans from a professional standpoint from, from college football I'm still going to be do, doing my job as the sideline reporter uh, for Vanderbilt Radio and I still love college football I'll still watch college football a ton even though it's not my quote-unquote job anymore so um, you know maybe I'll look at it more as a fan than a media member I, I don't know next year but I, I, I've thought a lot about it I, I don't envision kind of changing the way I follow the sport that much. I might not be into the minutia enough and might not, you know, kind of, uh, I might not be watching that Eastern Michigan Kent state game on Thursday night at five 30 on CBS sports. Although, Hey, I probably will be watching that. I just kind of, I won't, I won't be, uh, you know, uh, following it, the, the, the stats as much as I might've in the past. And now the high motor podcast listeners can cross off minutia from their bingo board today. Thank you, Mitch. I'm glad I could help out. Hey Mitch, always a pleasure. I'm glad that the, the move is working out well and I hope all goes well this spring and uh, congrats again. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me on. Take care, Andrew. I saw a friend today. It had been a while and we forgot each other's names, but it didn't matter cause Deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met, and how you feel more than you see, and other worlds that lie in spaces in between.